Um, turn to your neighbor and say hello. And then if it's a guy, say brother. If it's a girl, say sister. Ready? Go. <laughs> Did anybody else grow up in a church where you referred to other people as brother and sister? Anybody else? Okay, a few. Yeah, yeah. So that's part of the family language. So we're going through our values, as we mentioned. And over here next to Zeke is this value. Church is a family, not a business. And we're going to talk about that today. Um, and we're not a bad family either, so that's good, right? That's good. Um, so we're going to do this by talking about a goddess, about adoption, about uh, margins, boxes, and maybe a temple too. So we'll get there. All right, all that to say we've got a plan, so stay with me. All right, so in order to set this up today, i got to give you some background. i got to give you some things that you understand so when we get into the text, you'll be right there with me and you'll hopefully maybe see some things that you haven't seen before. Um, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, starting with, if you have your Bibles and want to turn there. Um, Paul is this guy, he was going around telling people about Jesus. And so he was going all over the world trying to help people learn about who Jesus was. And there were three things in particular he cared about that people knew. One, that God loved them and they didn't have to do anything for that. Okay? So it was grace. It was free. Second thing is he wanted to make sure that it was through Jesus that those things happened. Can you just go to the blank slide for me? First, just so they're not, I'll get to that in a second. Uh, and then the third thing that Paul was saying to people was that there is a community that you can be a part of here. And so that's part of what Paul was saying. So he was going around telling people these things, and people would resonate with this message that they are loved. And so then they would start believing in Jesus, and they would form these communities together. And then Paul would go to somewhere else and tell more people about Jesus. And so one of the places that he went was this town called Ephesus, and he started this community of Jesus followers there. And then what he was trying to do, after he left them, he would write letters back to them just to remind them of some things that he had taught them, things about who God was, who Jesus was, and, um, and who they were supposed to be together. Do you guys, have you, are you guys familiar with letters? Have you ever heard of letters before? Where you can write stuff on a piece of paper, and you can stick it in an envelope? Have you heard of this? <laughs> Pay attention now, it probably won't be around much longer. But anyway, um, back then they didn't do it quite like we do it today. They did it a little bit different. Uh, they would give, he would write these letters. Oftentimes they would do two or three copies and then they would just give them to somebody. They'd be like, hey, Mitch, take this uh, to, I don't know, Georgetown, Kentucky or something. And uh, hopefully Mitch would get there with the letter. If not, maybe Dawn would have another one and she would get there. So that's kind of how they did it. And so they would sit down and they would read these things together. Now, what Paul's doing when he writes this letter to the church at Ephesus, to these people, is he's trying to help them, again, remind them of some things. Now, everybody that lived in Ephesus, do you think they knew what was going on in Ephesus? Of course they did, right? Now, most of us probably couldn't even find Ephesus on a map today, <laughs> let alone know what was going on in that city, let alone know what was going on way back then. So I want to give you some background to all of that. Some of you have heard a little bit of this before. Some parts will be maybe a little different. So a couple things. Okay, we're going to go quickly. Stay with me. You might want to jot some notes as we go because it's going to matter in a minute. All right, Ephesus is a port city. That means there's water there. People come in, and there's lots of trading. People from all over the world come and go from there. Lots of different cultures, lots of different people. And in that way, Ephesus had a big emphasis, a big influence on the rest of the world because people would go from there and share things like religion, things like that. Second thing, if you're writing things down, it was a Greek city. This actually matters a whole bunch. And that means that they had Greek values. Now, 
I'm going to take some of you back to college. Maybe you studied philosophy, intro to philosophy class. You probably had to read Greek, uh, Plato's The Republic. Anybody? Okay. All right, a few people, more than I thought. All right, so way back then, um, that kind of exposed some values of the Greek system. And the number one value in terms of Greek philosophy is you matter by what you can contribute to the state, to the whole of the Greek empire, culture, whatever. Okay? So you're valuable only because of that. So things like this. If you're very smart, Mitch is very smart. I'm pointing at Mitch. If you're very, very intelligent, then you have a lot to offer. You're good at school. You're good at maybe helping people think about problems and things like that. Then you're very valuable to the state. People not as intelligent, not as important. All right, other things like beauty. They love beauty. So if you're very beautiful, I know it's hard to imagine a culture like this, but if you're very beautiful, you're important just because you're beautiful. And you can walk around and be beautiful, and people care about you because you're beautiful, but you add to the state because you're beautiful. And then another thing like athletics, if you're really good athletically, if you could do sports really well, then people would come and watch you, and they would worship you and say how great you were. Again, hard to imagine, I'm sure. right? And then uh, another, another value was entertainment. Like if you were uh, really good at entertaining people, or good musically, or maybe you could act really well, then again, people worshiped you and thought you were important, and you added to the state. Now, because of that value system where it mattered how much you added, then people were always looking around at everybody else and comparing themselves to everybody else. And your goal was to be better than your neighbor, right? To be Now imagine, if you can, I know it's hard to imagine a culture that would be super competitive all the time, always looking at other people, right? That's uh, probably a lot like our culture. Now, the third thing you need to know about Ephesus was it was this place of worship You've heard of the Greek gods and goddesses before. Place of the worship of the goddess Artemis. Um, Artemis was, um, if you read Greek, kind of about the Greek gods and goddesses, the goddess Artemis in Ephesus was a combination, really, of three different goddesses. One was this lady named Kibola from the Far East. Another one was Diana from Roman kind of mythology, and then Artemis from Greece. So they kind of put those three together. And so there's this kind of mega goddess, if you will, and, and this temple that was there in Ephesus was one of the seven wonders of the world. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. And so it's just really important there that everyone worshiped Artemis. Now, Artemis was known, if you see a picture of Artemis, oftentimes she's like a hunter. She might have a bow. Um, she was a hunter, but she was a provider. And part of that mashup of the three different goddesses meant that she gave you anything good in life. So if Ian wanted a million dollars, then he would sacrifice a lot of things, and hopefully Artemis would provide for him those things. If you wanted to grow crops, then you would pray to Artemis and make sacrifice to Artemis, and you would try to earn her favor so that she would give you crops. If you were trying to have children, you would pray to Artemis, and hopefully Artemis would give you children. And on and on it would go. And so uh, it was really important in those days. Now, um, to give you some sense of this, uh, we know from history, about one out of every two childbirths probably did not end well in those days. So in other words, it was a big deal. And they would say, if your childbirth didn't go well, it was because you didn't worship Artemis enough, you didn't do enough. And so this was kind of the culture of Ephesus. Now, one last piece of this, number four here, is this, that because of all these things, you're comparing yourself to other people all the time, because you were told all the time you're not good enough, 
And because of these values, you have to earn your way into Artemis' good favor. Because of these things, they had this, they developed this like checklist for when babies were born that midwives had to go through. You can find it. Um, you can, if you Google it, you can even find it online. It's listed there. But there's this checklist that the, that the midwives had that they would go through when a baby was born to make sure the baby would actually contribute something to the state, would be valuable enough to keep. If it didn't make some of those things, like if it didn't cry out, didn't have all 10 fingers and toes, that kind of thing, then they would take this baby and they would put it in a clay pot and they would take it outside the city of Ephesus and there's a big stone tablet there and they would set the pot there and they would basically say, it's up to the gods what happens to this baby. Right? Terrible to imagine. But that's what they believed, again, because you obviously hadn't earned favor with Artemis so the baby wasn't worth keeping and it wasn't going to contribute anything to the state. And so because it was a slave town, there's a lot of slave trade because of the port and a lot of people coming in and out. Slave traders would go up on the mountain, up on the hill, and they would look through these babies that were there. And they might find one that maybe had no voice, but they said, well, it can still be strong, and so it can still be a slave. And so they might rescue this baby and then raise it as a slave. Now, we know that most of the early church at Ephesus that Paul was able to talk to were former slaves. Okay, so you have this picture. Everybody with me so far? A lot going on. A lot of this means this. A lot of people feel this all the time in Ephesus. They're, they're not enough. They don't matter. They don't belong. Now, we're going to start in, in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 3, the very beginning of Ephesians 1. He just kind of brings greetings. And then he says this. Now, I want you to look for two things when we read this. Number one, who is God? How does it talk about God? Like, who gets praised? And then I want you to pay attention to this. What does God do for people? And just these three verses. What does God do for people? Okay? And then I'm going to ask you to respond. I'm a teacher, so you have to be with me. All right. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him Great pleasure. All right, so really quick. All right, let's go through this. Praise goes to who? God, okay, not Artemis, but God. This is a big deal. They immediately would have been like, oh, this is different. And then what's God done for us? So let's name some of the things. There's a whole bunch here. All right, somebody raise your hand. What's God done for us? Yes. Everything. Yes, that's good. That's good. Somebody else, good. Yes, Mitch. What? Chose us. Good. Jema. He loved us. What else? Adopted us. Blessed us. United us. Chose us. Holy. Called us holy. We are without fault because of him. He adopts us. We're in his family. We are wanted and we give him pleasure. Can you imagine if you were one of those slaves? We've been told your whole life, you're not good enough. You haven't done enough. You don't matter. And then Paul stands up and says in this letter, no, 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 no. In God, you matter. 
You have been chosen. It's my pleasure, God's pleasure to adopt you into his family. Wow, wow. All right, we're going to jump ahead to chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, again, just flip over there. Chapter 2. I'm going to give you chunks. I'm going to get to the end, but verses 1 through 10, basically Paul is telling them this. You're saved by grace. You don't have to do anything to get this. Again, totally opposite what they would have heard at every moment of their life in living in Ephesus. They've been told their whole lives, you have to earn your favor with Artemis. And now they're being told something different. So we're going to jump ahead to verse 8, if you have that uh, here. It says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. No earning it. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, it's a little confusing, maybe, if we're looking at it. Now, it's clear that we don't earn this this grace, right? But the very end, it says, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us. And see, part of what Paul is trying to help communicate to people is this. You are saved. None of, your, none of it's your choice. You're part of this family. But there's some things that we want to, you to join us in doing. And that you are gifted in certain ways and given abilities in certain ways that God wants you to be part of something bigger that, that isn't just about you. All right, we'll come back to that in a minute. All right, uh, we're going to jump ahead. Verses 11 through 18 then basically is a call for unity. And so um, if you can jump ahead with me to the next one. All right, verse 13. But now you have been united with Christ. Once you were far away from God, but now you have brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Okay? Again, this is him saying it's not something you've done. You are near Christ now. And this is good news. For them, again, imagine if you possibly can, a culture where you're always told you're not enough, a culture where you feel like you have to earn things all the time, where you're always told you're not beautiful enough, you're not smart enough, you're not gifted enough. (laughs) Of course, that sounds like our culture. And God's saying, no, 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 you are chosen, right? You have been united with Christ. So now you you have all of those things that come with being in Christ Jesus. This is good news. Now, What's interesting is Paul wants the the individual people at Ephesus to see this message. But then he wants them to understand you are loved not just so that you can be in your own little special club with God. No, 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 no. It, in fact, calls us to see that everyone is given this gift. And then verse 14, he says this, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. See, here we have this encounter where Paul is trying to help this church remember that they were once outsiders in this thing, and now they're insiders. But the job of an insider isn't just to be in the Mickey Mouse Club, you know? When I was a little kid, I was part of the Lone Ranger fan club. Anybody know who the Lone Ranger is still? All right, there's a few people. <laughs> I, so you had to save these box, uh, these little UPC things on the back of the Cheerios boxes. 
Anybody remember these days? And I had to <laughs> save like a, and I hated Cheerios, but I really wanted to be in the Lone Ranger fan club. So I ate all these stupid Cheerios. Ugh. My mom would let me put sugar on them. Ugh. Anyway, but I ate these things and I sent it away so I could be part of the club. And I got a little mask and a badge. You know, I was in the club. Nobody else could be in the club in my family but me because I had that, right? This is a different kind of club. It's not a club that's an exclusive club. This is saying, he's saying, no, 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 what you're called to is peace. And so in Ephesus, there was major distinctions between different kinds of people. Again, just try to use your imagination if there were like lots of separation in a culture around issues or something, right? Like in those days, you were either slave or you were free. You were a Jew or you were a Gentile. You were either a Republican or a Democrat. Oh, that's today. Uh, there, <laughs> you were either a Packers fan or a <laughs> right, so forth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This culture where all these divisions were in place and in Ephesus, when people saw you, they looked at you and they said, oh, you are this kind of a person. And so you belong with this kind of a group. And you are with these kinds of people, so you're over here. And what Paul is trying to help the church at Ephesus see, and I would argue what, argue what Jesus wants us to see today, is that it's not about us calling out the things that separate us but it's about recognizing that all of us are part of this family. All of us are invited into grace. Can I get an amen? All of us are stepped in, stepping in to that kind of a family. So the most important thing is Jesus and our relationships with each other. So in a world in Ephesus where they were told over and over, Artemis is the most important thing, you have to earn it, you have to be better than everybody else. You have to separate yourself from everybody else so you stand out. Paul is saying, no, no, no. You are in Jesus, and because of that, you are united with everyone else. These people are part of this community that you can be in. Now let me jump ahead. Um, the last part of this chapter, of chapter 2, Paul's trying to help them see that they're part of a family. And that word and that language becomes really important. And I'm going to point out some things that perhaps will be important for us. So verse 19, if you jump ahead in chapter 2. So now I'm just going to read these three verses, then I'm going to come back and unpack a few things. Now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. So a few words I want to make sure you're seeing in this, some language that would have stood out to the Ephesians and maybe can stand out to us. You are citizens. Now remember, most of these people that were reading, hearing this letter read to them were slaves or former slaves. They were not citizens of Greece. They did not belong. And now we're seeing this picture where God's saying, no, 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 you belong. You're citizens, not who cares about Greece. You're citizens, right? Members of God's family, you are, you are along, citizens along with all of God's holy people. And then he says you are members of God's family. Now, 
This is like one of Max's favorite words in Greek. Does anybody know what it is? Oikos, right? Oikos is the word. Yeah, and this word family is oikos. So turn to your neighbor and say oikos. Sounds fun. You can say, make it a goal to say it sometime just in a, a normal conversation this week, all right? So oikos means family. It does mean family. But when you think about it in the Greek, what it's talking about is that everybody who's part of this family is irreplaceable. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're irreplaceable. <laughs> you're irreplaceable. That everybody has a very important role to play. They matter. They belong. They're loved. They make a difference. And Paul is trying to help the church at Ephesus, and again, maybe what Jesus is trying to help us see is that we are family. We are irreplaceable. And then verse 21, if you jump ahead here. We are carefully joined together in him becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Now, for us, whatever, temple, big deal. But there are two temples that they would have known about in particular in this, in this part of the world. One of them Paul probably told them about, and another one was standing right outside their door, which was one of the seven wonders of the world, this, this temple to Artemis. Now, the temple to Artemis um, was huge and beautiful, and two times it had to be rebuilt. One time because of a flood, another time some dude tried to burn it down. <laughs> That's a whole nother story. But they rebuilt it. Probably most of the people who were in that room would have remembered or their parents had remembered seeing the temple built. Now, what's amazing about this temple was it was made almost entirely of marble. Now, for us, I mean, I think that's a big deal. But in those days, marble was one of the hardest things to build with because it's super heavy and it's so hard to cut. It's hard to cut in the right kinds of ways and make it fit together. In those days, they had none of the tools we have now, really. And so they couldn't, to, to cut it was almost impossible to cut it right so it would fit together. And it was almost impossible because they had no idea to move that stuff. It was so heavy. It was, to be honest, we still are not sure how they put the, the columns together in the temple to Artemis. The other temple they would have known about was, of course, the temple in Jerusalem, probably, again, because Paul told them about it. And there, you can go visit it today because the, the blocks are still there. And there are some of the blocks at the foundation of the temple. You can go in the tunnels underneath and see them. And they are cut perfectly, and they fit together perfectly. And again, they weigh so much, we have literally no clue how they move those things or put those things in place. To this day, we have no idea how to do it. It would be hard for us today to build that structure. Even with all the cranes and all the things that we have, it would be very difficult for us. Somehow they did it. And honestly, we still don't know how. So what Paul's trying to help them see here is we are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. And what he's trying to help them see is that God is able, and this is, stay with me, this is really the biggest thing I want to get to today that God has taken these parts and these pieces in his family who seem like they don't fit together and they're really hard to move. <laughs> like some of us, don't point at your neighbor. <laughs> yeah, that sometimes you say, how in the world can I get along with that person? How in the world does that, have per that person have anything to contribute? And part of what Paul's trying to say is, God is the one who can take all of these pieces and fit them together 
and in this perfect way. Now we have this phrase right on the wall, church is a family, not a business. And Max likes to talk a lot about what what church as a business looks like. I'm just going to use one simple picture for you today. The way a lot of churches behave is that, I'm going to move this so I don't break it, um, is that it's sort of like this. The church has certain things that make it what it is. So maybe our church does this kind of music. Maybe it has a certain values around certain things. Maybe they do these kinds of service projects, but not these kinds of service projects, whatever it is. And a lot of those churches, like a business, has specific boundaries around it. It's like a box, right? Everybody with me so far? So for example, Starbucks does what? What do they sell? Coffee, right? Now they do a few other things here and there, but really they make their money because they make coffee, right? If, you, if all of a sudden you went to, to Starbucks and said, I'd like a coffee, and they say, I'm sorry, we don't do that anymore. What are you talking about? They probably lose their, all their business very quickly, right? So they're very firm in the structure of what they do. They need to do that so they can grow and they can make money and do all those things. Now, if you really like coffee, how many of you like coffee? Okay, all right, how many of you like tea? I'll pray for you. All right, anyway, um, so if you like that, it's like this, like you can fit into the box, right? And so maybe the box can hold certain things. Everybody with me so far? Right, so you can, if you're a certain size, here, this is a little chicken, you maybe fit, still fit in there, right? And if there's certain things, right, then you fit inside the box, and it's fine, right? And the box is still the box, no big deal. Now, stay with me for a minute. (laughs) Now, what if, you know, you don't look the same way as the things, other things that fit in the box? Right? Maybe you can kind of try to cram in there, maybe, kind of, but at some point, <laughs> at some point, there's a problem. Because if I'm not the right shape, and I don't fit in, and so maybe I don't like that kind of music, or I don't want to serve in that way, then problems happen. Right? I don't fit in the box. Right? The business model doesn't work. But what Paul's trying to say is something entirely different. He's saying it doesn't really matter what your shape is. Because maybe like this bag, and this is a kind of a broken metaphor, but you'll understand it. Like because it can shift a little bit, and because it can be a little bit different, then it doesn't matter what your shape is. It doesn't matter those things because what happens is then the bag just starts to take on the shape of the objects that go in it. And so it's not like this firm boundary all the time that everybody has to fit into one thing. What it means to be a family means that we can ask the question, what do you bring to us instead of how do you fit in here? Let me tell you a story that illustrates this really well. I have a friend, he's a pastor And he was in this uh, small group in his church, and they were reading through the book of James, which is really dangerous. Uh, (laughs) If you're comfortable where you are, don't read the Bible. But anyway, so they're reading reading through the book of James, and they get to the end of this part of James, and it says, true religion is this, to care for orphans and widows. And so they just started asking a question as a small group, like, do we know any widows? Yep, there's some widows in our church, and we're doing a pretty good job caring for them. Do we know any orphans? 
And it turns out right next door to them were two kids, two brothers who were in foster care, who were orphans. They said, what does it mean, true religion means to care for them? What would it mean for us to actually care for them? And so they began this relationship. I mean, they're already in some relationship, but they really started investing in this relationship. And they wound up adopting these two boys. Now, they already had three kids of their own. So three plus two is five. <laughs> some of you are like, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> five. Now, my friend's family did things. There were certain things that they were doing. They normally did. They were sports families, so they played football and softball and baseball and basketball, and they did certain things on the holidays that they cared a lot about. Um, with his father-in-law, they would go hunting sometimes, and this is the things they did. When they adopted these two boys into their home, the two boys didn't do any of those things. They'd never grown up playing sports. They juggled. One of them did juggling, and the other one did diving. (laughs) And they're like, we don't know anything about juggling and diving. Turns out there's a whole world around both of those that they had no idea existed. Now, when those boys became part of their family, they could have said, what our family does is basketball and football and softball and baseball, and we hunt, and that's what you will do. But that's not really a family, is it? That's not really what love looks like, right? What love looks like is, oh, you care about juggling. You care about diving. So we're going to learn what that looks like. And we're going to bring you into our family and ask this question. How do you change us? How do you make us different because of how you're gifted and how God has made you to be you? Church is a family, not a business. So hear me say this, you matter. You are loved. You belong here. You change us when you come. And part of what we want to be as generations is a kind of family that asks the question, how can you change us? What is God gifted in you? What is God dreaming in you? What are the places that you feel like maybe we should be serving? How can we help you do that? Instead of saying, this is how, what we do. Right? We're not the box, we're the bag. We, we want to do those things because families value relationship. And we want to value everybody who walks through the door. This is not about size. It's about posture. It's about our heart attitude. We want to value the relationships of people that come in. Family shows up. You know, my friend doesn't really like juggling very much, but he's this dad now of a kid who does. And so he shows up and he cares. And he starts caring about juggling because Chico cared about juggling. You with me on this? Yeah. And families love when it hurts. Let's be honest. Sometimes we're not always so easy to love. Yes? Okay, don't point at people. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But families show up and love even when it hurts. So let me ask this question, if you can put that next slide up. What, what would it be like if you lived like you matter? What would it be like if you lived like you were loved? What would it be like if you lived like you belong here? So first thing I just want to challenge you to do is to show up. It's pretty simple. 
Showing up says something to people, doesn't it? Again, just use that picture of that family. When Chico, uh, or when, when Matt had his diving competitions, the family would show up. They didn't even understand anything that was going on at first, right? <laughs> but they showed up because it says something about what matters, right? And it says that we love and care for people. So I want to challenge you to show up, not just on Sunday mornings. I want to challenge you to show up for the things that matter in each other's lives. The second thing, what it means to be a family, not a church, is that we've got to be a bag, not a box, right? <laughs> that we've got to be the kind of place that we're willing to flex. And part of that means we have to start by listening to people and asking, what is it that you bring to us? And ask them some questions. How could you serve and, and, and fit in here instead of saying, no, 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 this is the way we do it. We want to be that kind of place that flexes. The third thing is leave always room for one more. I have another friend at his house, they always set one extra place at the table, which is kind of cool, right? And part of it is just, just in case somebody else shows up, there'll be a table. There's a place already set for them. And part of what we want to be at Generations is the kind of place that always has room for other people to come in and plug in, to always be thinking about when that new person walks through the door, what does it mean for us to be kind to them? What does it mean for them to extend an invitation to come and join us in whatever we're doing? I want to challenge us as a community, especially as we move into this neighborhood, and over the next year, we're going to be talking more about ways that maybe we could engage this neighborhood we live in, what it would be like to make room for people. Fourth thing here is this, to work things out, not just to slink away. This one's so hard, isn't it? I mean, oftentimes it's easy for us to to kind of when conflict comes, to run away from it. And sometimes we pretend like it didn't really happen or sometimes we just get in this place where we're just pushing people away and so we're kind of hurt by them in some way so we just stay away. But I want to challenge you to not run away, to engage and actually go to the person. Jesus says in Matthew 19, he says, if you have a problem with somebody, a brother and sister in your family, what should you do? Post about it on Facebook. Exactly right. That's what he says. No, of course not. What does he say? He says you need to go to that person, right? Part of the way you love people is you say, you know, when you did this, it hurt me. And it's not always easy, but it says something to each other when we don't just run away from it and we actually uh, talk to each other about it. And then the last one I'll put it up here is this. Say, I'm proud of you. One of the ways that we be a family is we become each other's biggest cheerleader. You know, say, man, I'm proud of the way, I know it's not been easy, good job. I'm proud of you for doing that. If you live in a healthy family, those can be some of the most powerful words a father or a mother or a brother or sister can ever say to you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. And what we want to challenge us to do as a family is to support each other, to cheer for each other, to be there for each other, to be in these kinds of places where we're cheering each other on. So hear me say it, and I hope that you hear God say it. If you can put this last one up, you matter. You are loved. You are enough. You belong.